welcome to the new episode of Dakota Boys Talk Movies. I'm Steven. And I'm Dakota. And tonight we're going to do another one of our video reviews. And we'll be discussing the Oscar winning... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm blanking. Film? <laughs> I don't know why it was so hard to say the word film. The Oscar winning film for... what is Was it just Best Original Score? Was that the only thing it won for? Uh, it wasn't... I'm thinking here. Best original screenplay, or was that something else? No, I think it was just score. Oh, I know it was nominated for a few. Sadly, sadly, it lost out pretty much in every every category. Sadly or deservedly, hard to know. I don't know what was in, nominated in every category, but the movie The Hateful Eight is the one we'll be discussing tonight. A... Oh, a Western of sorts, but not really. It's more of that's the time period it uses. (laughs) More so than actually being what most Americans would call a Western, so to speak. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Although it'd be hard to imagine the... This story taking place at any other time. Right. Yeah, the things that are in this story... Actually... Cell phones would hurt it. No, just kidding. (laughs) Actually, I think medieval times. I'd like to see this story set in medieval times. <laughs> and, they, and instead of a, a haberdashery, it could be like some sort of tavern or something exactly. like that. <laughs> uh, They're on their way to York to hang this woman and they get stuck. Oh, York. Yeah, there you go. And then they just have a dragon show up at the end. I don't know why. Just for the heck of it. Yeah, a dragon comes out of nowhere and kills them all. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, anyway, it, it did just win for uh, uh, Best Achievement in Music Written for a Motion Picture. Or most people just say Best Original Score. Yeah. Uh, but it was nominated for Jennifer Jason Lee's performance. She was up for a Supporting Actress. And for Cinematography, mostly just because of the fact that it was shot on film in Panavision 70 millimeter, so that Quentin's reasoning for wanting to do that was he wanted to have you know the mile wide shots, you know that that the old westerns were kind of famous for, and so yeah, the movie really opens with Jeepers, what just five minutes of panning over long wide shots as the yeah. as the music brings you in. Uh- you kind of mentioned earlier how this isn't your typical Western, but that is kind of um, something that Sergio Leone used a lot in his movies. And oddly enough, Ennio Maricone, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name right. It's Italian, <laughs> in case you couldn't tell. But uh, he's the one who usually did the scores for his movies, wasn't it? Uh, yes, for quite a few of them, like... Uh... Yeah, he did a lot of the famous Western scores that are probably flooding through your head right now, the ones you think of. Most of those were, yeah, I don't know how you say his name. When I read it in my head, it comes out <laughs> as Ennio Morricone, but I might be giving him a few extra syllables. I, <laughs> I have no idea, but it sounds cool. Ennio Morricone! <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this story, uh, what would you say this story's about, the plot? Oh, it's... There's eight people that hate each other. 
there's a there's sadly only just a few more of that actually in the film, but uh <laughs> it starts with uh a bounty hunter escorting his prisoner to this town where she can be hanged and the bounty hunter uh his name is John, played by Kurt Russell, sporting uh Sporting it's actually the... more played by Kurt Russell's mustache. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sporting, I believe, I I think it's called the walrus, is what that's called. Yeah, it's kind of the walrus, but it attaches to his sideburns also. <laughs> so it's kind of like, I don't know, the ha- the walrus hammock? <laughs> I don't know. Wasn't that Wilf- the style made famous by Wilford Brimley? Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He kind of had, Wilford Brimley would have been the walrus. Yeah. Uh, when it comes around and connects to your sideburns, it's almost more like, uh, g- well, General Burnsides, the guy who gave the name to sideburns, is almost more kind of similar to what he did. But either way, period fitting <laughs> facial hair. Yeah, I know up until recently he was still sporting that, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, mustache. The yeah, mustache well, he, of mustaches. He he used it in a few other films he was in. Like, he made another in- more independent Western around the same time he made Hateful Eight. And then I want to say there was something else he was in where he kind of had, a, you know, a still pretty decent mustache. But, hey, if you can grow a mustache that cool, <laughs> you might as well get some use out of it, man. So Yeah, he, uh, well, he sported a pretty, pretty handsome mustache slash beard in yeah. The Thing. Yeah, that's right, his beard. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of him. He's in a stagecoach, and he's he's handcuffed to a woman played by Jennifer Jason Lee, about the only woman in the movie. And yeah, there's a huge bounty on her head, and so he's taking her to be hung. And along the way, he runs into a colonel played by Samuel Jackson, who's also a bounty hunter of sorts. I think he was a major, wasn't he? Oh yeah, major. Sorry. But uh, he's a bounty hunter that's more of the, uh, if they say dead or alive, I'm going to go with dead. <laughs> Whereas Kurt Russell's bounty hunter would have been more the, he's the one who wanted to see them hung, which is why he had the nickname the Hangman. Um, but yeah, so these two end up going along the way, and they're kind of the stagecoach drivers trying to outrun this blizzard, and they end up making it to this haberdashery. Oh, just kind of a, a general store, restaurant, B&B, <laughs> kind of an all-in-one deal to get out of the blizzard where they meet kind of the rest of our eclectic cast um, in this place. And it's kind of becomes, in a way, um, nobody... There's a lot of people that don't seem like they are who they say they are and it kind of becomes uh kind of figuring out what everybody's game here is like who's 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 on the level and who's just who's just throwing out crap you know and so it kind of becomes a little bit of that and of course you have these bounty hunters and they're they're the most suspicious because Obviously, they're taking in criminals, and so it causes them to be suspicious. And so you have this kind of old story. But uh, let me remind you once again, this is a Quentin Tarantino movie. And so in a normal person's movie, um, there would be that plot. But And there is. 
But he likes to have basically a movie that consists of, I don't know, what, eight major scenes. <laughs> yeah. And each scene is basically 20 minutes of just flat out dialogue or, you know, I mean, it's, so it's just like, if you're not familiar with him, it's a lot of people know him for other things, um, content to his movies, but probably the thing he does more than anything is just have dialogue, just talk, 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 talk. He can make long movies and these movies probably have more words in them than any other movie ever made. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. He's, uh, uh, you know, people kind of accuse him of having a lot of violence in his movies. But the flip side of that is there's no real action. He did, He's not like, this isn't John McTiernan we're talking about here. The only exception would be Kill Bill, but it was because he was making a martial arts movie. Where you say that was had action. Yeah. But for the most part, uh, his movies aren't like a Rick Rollicking ride of action. It's kind of just people talking and occasionally someone's going to get shot or, you know, stabbed. Yeah, something of the sort. Uh, yeah, yeah, like it's like Dakota pointed out, he's not the John McTiernan who would be the director of like Die Hard and Predator or your uh, Michael Bay type movie where it's like, blow up first, talk later <laughs> type thing. Um, and so you, it, it really just ends up being a lot of, his movies are just a lot of listening. <laughs> and you sitting there trying to decide if any of this dialogue is important to the plot and how you have to listen to everything and figure out what is important to the plot <laughs> and what isn't. But I don't know. I don't. What is his reasoning behind his dialogue heavy movies? Because he has some that, like, I've seen scenes from some of his movies where it's just, like, it goes on and on and on. It doesn't really feel like it has anything to do with the actual plot of the movie. Yeah, I think... What, what, uh, what's his reasoning behind it? Do you know? Um, He's just kind of trying to... His big thing is, like, character motivation, what's going on in their head. Um, the, the screenplay that he originally wrote that eventually became Natural Born Killers was actually so huge that two movies came out of it, Natural Born Killers and True Romance. That is how much... Both were made by well-known directors. Yeah, and it's just... He just throws in so much, and I think those are still... They have, like, the Tarantino touches to them. Uh, a lot of dialogue, violence, um, kind of a lot of scenes where they're driving in cars talking. But uh, they're they're Tarantino, not Tarantino esque in a way that uh, still a lot of action, um, kind of kind of less dialogue-y. But yeah, dialogue-y. I don't know if that's <laughs> a thing. Less dialogue driven movies. It's okay. I like to make up words too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so uh, yeah, this story or this movie. I mean. Just like all his other movies, he has a tendency to, uh, well, reuse people he likes or like to work with him, whichever way that goes or both ways. Um, but when he does bring in people who aren't necessarily his quote unquote usual suspects, he always has a tendency to bring in uh, 
well like well known, well respected actors or actresses. Uh why do you why do you think that is, Dakota? I'm not really sure considering that's not how he started out. Um his first his first three big movie or first two big movies, uh Reservoir Dogs uh, Pulp Fiction, uh, he didn't really use a lot of the well-known actors. Well, they were guys who weren't necessarily well-known yet, yeah. except for like maybe Harvey Keitel. Uh, yeah, Bruce Willis, he, he used pretty famously. Uh, John Travolta, he pretty much revived his career. Well, and that's the other thing he's famous for is he'll pull these people into his movies where people are like, why is he using that person? And then there's been a few times where that has caused a renaissance for that actor. Yeah, Robert, uh, we were just talking about this earlier, Robert Forrester, actually. Yeah, he ended up getting an Academy Award nomination for... Uh, for Jackie Brown. Yeah. And it kind of, it did it revived his career, it ended up, because that would have been when he was, like, middle-aged. Yeah. And it gave him kind of a new start to where, oh, he can be kind of, he can be a crime boss now in movies. And, <laughs> yeah. and he played that even up until he was in the TV show Heroes, being basically a crime boss. <laughs> yeah, it's... So, uh... Oddly enough, didn't do that for Pam Greer, but it generated a lot of interest for kind of the movie she was in when she was younger. Oh, it kind, of re- enough, yeah. it kind of revived people looking back at her. Yeah, at her. I think okay. a lot of people were just saying, a lot of younger people were probably like, who's this Pam, Pam Greer person? <laughs> Even though uh, he Tarantino was a huge fan of hers, and she actually got name-dropped in Reservoir Dogs. Oh, really? Yeah. There's uh, these characters are sitting in the car, and this guy's describing this woman. He's like, she looked like Pam Greer from <laughs> this movie. And Tim Roth's character is like, that wasn't Pam Greer. That was so-and-so Pam Greer was in. Yeah, I, I can't quote the movie. There you go. But as, that would have been a scene where it's like he, he extends this whole conversation into a whole kind of side tangent. That ends up going back into the plot, and it's just kind of interesting how he does that, which is why some people think he's, like, one of the greatest movie makers there is. Yeah. And why some people find his movies frustrating in that they can be hard to follow follow along sometimes. But, uh, but as far as this movie, uh, you have, uh, well, Bruce Dern. He'd be the the more veteran of this movie, although Kurt Russell you can consider a veteran just because man he's been acting since he was, you know I don't know in diapers practically. And you had uh, oh Samuel Jackson, which we named Jennifer Jason Lee, Michael Madsen, Tim Roth, a few others that aren't quite as well known also showed up in this. And uh, um, as far as the acting, I guess every. I thought the acting was fine. I I will say this. Kurt Russell, it like the way he delivered his lines and stuff, it's like it felt like he was in a different world than everybody else. Or like in a different movie. Yeah, it's almost like he was trying to channel Lee Marvin. Well, yeah, it was like everything he said almost felt like like he was over I don't know if it was like it wasn't necessarily overacting. It was almost like he was overreacting. Is almost more would be a better term for what was happening with him, like the way he said everything. And I feel like some of it was maybe he was trying to channel his inner tough guy, but he didn't want to just be snake or something like that or you know, and so he's trying to find like his cowboy tough guy 
and that's kind of how it came across. But I mean, he he was still fine. Everybody, everybody played their parts really well. I mean, I thought that that went over really well. Um, wouldn't you say that too, Dakota? Yeah, kind of one of the surprises from this movie was uh, Walt. Walt. I don't know if it's Walter or Walton Goggins. It's uh, Walton Goggins. Walton. Yes, he was kind of a little bit of fresh air in this because he's someone that. I think this is the first Quentin Tarantino movie he's ever been in, and sure, he was, it was hard. <laughs> I to, don't know. It was hard from the get go to try to figure out what what he was doing because he he kind of came off as being you know a little a little bit of an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, you could you could tell that there was more going on with him than than he was letting on, and then that brings up the question. Well, why is this guy just walking around out in the cold? <laughs> yeah, it's almost, it's almost like he's waiting. He was waiting to get picked up for some reason. And then, of course, you know this uh, the story kind of kind of takes a turn. I felt it. It kind of developed out of the middle the middle of nowhere. But uh, Kurt Russell's character believes that somebody that they're stuck with in the haberdashery is also working with his prisoner. Yeah, when, like, I get th- I get that they were suspicious. Like, if you're a bounty hunter, especially when you're bringing in a living bounty, um, you're going to be a little suspicious. But I felt like his just, like, outcry of accusation really felt like, like, where did that come from except that the screenplay told you to do that? It just felt, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Where it was like, yeah, I, it's like, the, here this movie was slowly building to everything. But that one thing that really set up the rest of the movie felt like, where did that come from? Where all of a sudden he's just like, I know one of you in here is helping her. And it's like, well, that's kind of something. Don't you just initially think in your head? But maybe you don't. I mean, he just was like immediately knowing it's a reality. (laughs) But I don't know. I guess maybe you're supposed to chalk it up to he's an experienced bounty hunter and he could just tell. (laughs) I don't know. I guess something probably with the situation didn't sit right with him. I mean, it's it's that same Samuel L. Jackson's character does that same thing, but he has reasons for it. Or is Kurt Russell's character right away just kind of again? He was in a different movie. No, <laughs> no. Uh, Maybe they were reading from a different script. Yeah. Here's what's funny about this movie to me: everything it was nominated for at the Oscars, I was like. Cinematography, yeah, it makes sense. Jennifer Jason's least performance makes sense. The thing it won for is the one thing I, or uh, one of the things I didn't like about this movie. What's that? The music, the score. Yeah, it. I didn't. I didn't. I thought that half the time it was really distracting because <laughs> it would just start up and then. Instead of like kind of floating out of the scene, it would just like cut off, like it would just go, Meh, and it was like done, and then it would just be like the next thing, and there was like only like a few times in the whole movie where I thought the music like even worked. It kind of seemed like it was made to be put in a horror movie, just kind of. Well, yeah, there was a couple parts like that, and I don't know if it's trying to be misleading because the one part it felt like. 
well, maybe they're the movie's trying to mislead us to think that something bad is going to happen here. Yeah, I think I think the score for this movie would have felt more at home, you know, on a remake for The Shining or something like that. Yeah, maybe. And then there, yeah, it was just like, I don't know. It was just kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. It was just like, like it wasn't like outright bad where it was like, <laughs> like, ugh. But it just felt like it didn't fit the movie. Or what was going on half the time. And so that that was kind of weird to me. And, and like I said, ironically, it was the thing that the movie won for. But we talked about this, how Ennio, we'll, we'll assume that that's how you say his first name, has been doing movies forever and has done a lot of, I'm going to drop a term, iconic. <laughs> He's done a lot of iconic uh, scores to where was this like a, we're going to give you your Oscar before you die. <laughs> and it's not, po- you know, posthumously given honorarily type thing. Yeah. That's the, that's the problem with the Academy Awards. Um, they don't really, sometimes I feel, uh, reflect the true nature of, of which was better or which was more deserving of the Oscar. Well, in, I'm going to, this is going to end up being controversial, but, even the best picture winner this year, it's controversial because a lot of people are probably like, well, that movie's great. But I just feel like that movie won because it was kind of the little, the right little darling to win, but maybe not the best movie that was up for best picture. Yeah, there was. And I think it's a movie that since most of the people in Hollywood are morally ambiguous to just kind of scumbags themselves. They just like to give the mo- give the best picture to the movie that feels like, oh, it's the movie where good people are doing good things, and so I'm gonna be a good person, or so, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's not it wasn't as controversial a win as Crash, but it certainly I don't think was the movie of the year, not even close. Yeah, a lot of there are actually some people that say that. Uh, Mad Max actually ruined the chances for the true movie of the year. Which was? The Revenant. Mm. Okay. Mad Max had a lot of fans, I guess. I don't know. I'm one sur- of them, It was though. just surprising it had ten nominations. <laughs> yeah. But, and it won, like, it won. five or six, but they were all for, like, the technical stuff. Yeah. Costumes. So, uh, yeah, I mean... So there's this, there's that whole thing with this movie, but, uh, besides that, I guess just, how did you feel like just the overall, let's just go to the overall, put everything together. Where, where, where do you, as someone who's seen most of Tarantino's movies, I would assume, or all of them. Yes. I've seen all of them. Where would you put this on the. Like, would you put this near the top out of the eight films that he's written and directed? Would you put this near the top or middle or bottom? Um, probably toward it. <laughs> Something you're going to realize when you first watch this movie. This is the eighth film by Quentin Tarantino. The eighth which, one that he himself has. Which is pretty amazing because it's been, he's been making movies for over 20 years and he's only on number eight. He likes to. 
he took a huge, huge kind of break in between in between Jackie Brown and Kill Bill, uh, supposedly to perfect the script that was eventually became Kill Bill. But uh, uh, I think some of that too was that Pulp Fiction was such a a force to be reckoned with that uh, a lot of people think why Jackie Brown failed was because it was like, well, this is different than Pulp Fiction. You know, because it was the next movie he did after. And so maybe another reason he took the break was like, let's just kind of move. Let's I need to move out of the shadow of my own movie so that I can do something new and people hopefully won't compare it as bad. Yeah, he's he's kind of fickle about his movies. He really is. Um, And he he tends nice word drop, by the way, (laughs) he tends to. Say say a movie of his is critically just kind of just a disappointment. He will actually uh, kind of disown that movie. He did it with Jackie Brown. He kind of, he did it with uh, the first first movie he did with Kurt Russell, the uh, the Death Proof movie. Uh, he's not one a, of the Grindhouse features. In case you're like confused about what that was, <laughs> yeah he he wasn't. He's not. He doesn't like to talk about that movie too much either. But, Which uh, is weird because if you remember, if any of you remember at the time when it came out, he was touting it as like, oh, one of the things he's been most excited to do and yada, 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 double feature with blah, blah, blah. And then it was like, yeah, I don't count that or <laughs> something. And it's like, I think, I think the problem with that one was everyone was pretty much saying, skip that, skip death proof. Just go see, just go see Robert Rodriguez's Grindhouse movie. Which I'm having trouble remembering the title of. Uh, Planet something wasn't it? Planet. Planet Terror. Yeah, Planet like Terror. But uh, yeah, it's just I don't know. I'd I'd place this one more towards the top. It's obviously Pulp Fiction's going to be number one. I I consider the two Kill Bill movies just one. Okay, but that's kind of how they were supposed to be in the first place. He kind of just. The script, once again, was so huge, he just cut it into two movies. Uh, Kill Bill would probably be second. Uh, Reservoir Dogs and probably this one. Okay, so you'd put it in your top four then anyway. So it made it into your top, I guess most people use the term top five. So yeah. it's in your top five anyway? Yeah. Out of eight? Yes. So it's, I guess it's technically middle. <laughs> yeah. It's the middle child. It's the middle child. Which is probably why I didn't get no love at the Oscars. Yeah, yeah, maybe because it did get even among his dedicated followers, there was a little bit of a mix to this. But I think some of it was nobody. This was one where people were really having trouble placing it because they're like, "Well, he does all of his movies differently." And wasn't Django Unchained his nineteenth century movie? Yeah. And now that... he's and then people are like, "Well, yeah, this one takes place in nineteenth century, but it's more of like a whodunit." <laughs> And then they're like, and then people are like, it wasn't a whodunit, it was, you know, and it was like, it was a, uh, what do you call it, a stage, he yeah. made it like a stage play, because it's most mostly one location, and, uh... Yeah, you could really take this movie and turn it into a stage play if you tried. That'd involve a lot of blood squibs, though, keep that in mind. <laughs> well, or as they use in the Shakespearean days, uh, red hankies <laughs> pulled out of your shirt. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. It's... Or leg. <laughs> It's it's like we said. It's not a traditional western. A lot of his movies are hard to peg down. 
Reservoir Dogs is meant to be kind of like one of those, uh, like a, almost like a, I'm not even sure what they call it, but a caper. And Yeah, it was like Reservoir Dogs was a heist movie that told you everything about the heist without showing the heist. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically. You, you saw the before and the after. <laughs> you didn't see the actual heist. That's how I had it described to me anyway. But, uh. So let's just go into maybe like final thoughts on this movie grade you would you would give it and those type of things. So Dakota, what, what like are your... a like a letter grade? Yes. Okay. Um, there are certain things that really work for this movie. It was it was interesting to watch Samuel L. Jackson kind of be the main character in this movie because usually in a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies he's either kind of the the side character or somebody that's just kind of narrating what's going on in the movie but sure but i liked him uh we saw an interesting turn from our interesting kind of uh character uh from Channing Tatum uh anyone there he's kind of popular right now <laughs> uh this is is definitely not the way we're used to seeing him. And I don't know. It was interesting. So there was that. Uh, Jennifer, <laughs> so there was that. <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee, I feel like, I don't know. She was just kind of there. I don't, I didn't think she really. She was kind of the plot driver. <laughs> yeah, she, she was pretty much what this movie, what, uh, I don't know. The Holy Grail was to Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail. I didn't think it, she did that great of a job. Um, <laughs> the score kind of seemed just out of place. I was I was expecting this place to get attacked by demons or, I don't know, zombie Native Americans. <laughs> that would have been cool, I guess. Zombie, wait, zombies <laughs> or Native Americans or zombie Native Americans? Zombie Native Americans. <laughs> yes. Because this- I'm feeling... Uh, 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 what's that? Dead Snow Part <laughs> Three, where it's like n- zombie Native Americans versus zombie Nazis. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, the score just—I don't know. I didn't, I didn't. It seemed kind of eerie. It kind of puts you on edge, like. Yeah, and then at times it's just like, where is this coming from? I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so what overall? What was your what's your grade then? I'm gonna give it. You know what? I'm gonna go with. B. I'm gonna go with a B. All right, he's giving a straight up B. I guess for me, um, uh, this movie was interesting. Uh, would definitely give it that. It it. Uh, I mean, he's a guy who definitely, in his worlds, can create interesting people to fill it. <laughs> and I thought um, everyone did a did a fine job with their roles. There were there were, you know every. There's a few things, you know, like, okay. I thought it was, I don't know, it's hard with him because he makes his movies purposefully over the top and fantastical. Um, and so it's, it's, it's hard to know how to use that as a, as a great job or whoa, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it's kind of hard because he, he does make his movies in the world of his movies very fantastical. Um, 
but yeah, the the score. I don't know. I just it's just funny because we we did a Batman v Superman, and I really struggled to. I think it's because I'm a person who the music of a movie really um, can make or break it for me because it's it's such a driving force a lot of times in movies. And so I, I guess with all that said is I give it almost more of like a, a C plus <laughs> because I didn't abhor it, but I didn't really care for it a whole lot. And it was also way too long. <laughs> it was way too long. It could have. And I, and I get that it's like, oh, you want to flesh out your world. I get that. Believe me, I don't care if your movie is long. But it just felt like this didn't need to be long for what happened. And I'm not just saying that as a person who can struggle with ADD. Because, like I said, I don't mind if you have a long movie as long as it's kind of a a, a progression that kind of means something. And, again, that's where it's so hard to, to judge his movies because it's like, you could argue maybe it did mean something, but it didn't feel like, even if it meant something, it didn't feel like it mattered. And so maybe that's how I would put it. And so, yeah, I'd give it like a C plus um, as far as my grade. Uh, but obviously, if you're a Quentin Tarantino fan, I, I would guess you've probably already seen this movie. <laughs> and uh, have, have your thoughts on it. Um, if you're not a Quentin Tarantino fan or have never watched one of his movies... I don't know, Dakota. That's more your ballpark. Would you? Would this be a good one to start with? Ooh, that's a tough one right there. Um, I'm gonna say no. <laughs> okay, so let's say there is someone interested in the worlds he sets up. What would you say? Start with this before you get oh, into Hateful man. Eight. Here's the thing about Hateful Eight. It's kind of, you know, um, the two movies, the first two that he did. I think everyone kind of keeps expecting that out of him um you know where it was these movies about these criminals out doing oh sure what they do yeah um, whether that... it's whether it's you know thieves uh low rent hitmen mob bosses sure or in in the case of kill bill assassins um and it's just i don't know it's that was another thing i had to do with this movie is I knew there'd be nobody I could cling to because they were all going to be... I knew going into this movie... It's called The Hateful Eight. So you kind of know everyone's probably going to be some form of scumbag. Yeah, there's... And so this is a movie where if you're a person who has a tendency to cling to a character, which I can do, you kind of can't do that with this. You just kind of have to let it play out. That's the problem. You see, that's, I think, the problem with this movie. You're not really rooting for anybody. You're kind of just... You're just watching a house of cards fall. I rooted for the blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good way to put it. You are just kind of watching a house of cards, and you're like, okay, when is the when is the wind going to get strong enough? You know, or when's the table going to get bumped? <laughs> However you want to say it, but uh, yeah. So you'd start with maybe that's I suppose that's what everybody would maybe say. Go back and. If you're interested in Quentin Tarantino but haven't watched to watch Pulp Fiction then? Um yeah, Pulp Fiction, uh Reservoir Dogs, uh, the Kill Bill movies. Um you could kind of you could kind of skip Jackie Brown and his Death Proof movie. Django Unchained, it really depends on 
how comfortable you are with casual racism. <laughs> there is there is a lot of racism in that it's movie. It's about slavery. Yeah. So. Um, don't get offended, Stephen, but I think, honestly, uh, some people don't like that movie because it brings up a lot of feelings. You know, we're, we're, we live in a new world right now where uh, racism isn't tolerated, but uh, as Ben Affleck found out not too long ago, we have these ghosts in these closets uh, that were slave owners and they didn't treat their quote unquote property very well. And I think that movie kind of just brought that up and uh, kind of made everybody just a little bit uncomfortable because it's our- kind of, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky when you do things like that. It's like, first off, you got to go into it saying, am I trying to help or is this really going to hinder things, you know, or is this going to make it worse? And I don't know. I didn't see Django, so I don't know <laughs> where that goes on the, is if it's really helping the problem. But <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I would, I would definitely save that movie for last. It's, <laughs> it's not for everybody. Um, I have a brother that loved it so much. He named his dog after it. After he the named his dog un- Unchained? No. I'm just kidding. Uh, he named his dog Django. So now when he, when I, whenever now he comes home after a walk, he unchained, unhooks him and he's like, he's unchained. Oh boy. Good one. I like that. <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of our, uh, our feelings and thoughts on, on, um, Hateful Eight and just really, uh, the world of Quentin Tarantino in general. Um, he's kind of one of those guys where you probably either don't know him in terms of never watch any of his movies or you just hate him (laughs) or you love him. Um, there just doesn't seem to be anyone who's just kind of like middle ground. You either just don't watch it or you hate him or you love him. (laughs) Yeah. Um, going to college, there was surprisingly few people that had seen his movies, but those that did were just Oh my God! Like zealots. Pulp, pulp Fiction, greatest movie ever made. <laughs> Part of it is that it's like you're told that that's what you're supposed to say. Like, like when you're trying to pass yourself off as a movie lover, it's like, oh, I guess I like you know Citizen Kane and Pulp Fiction. <laughs> it's like what, huh? That's when you know somebody's <laughs> probably just throwing you for a loop. It's like yeah. Citizen Kane and Pulp Fiction. Yeah, but they're they're keeping... just, just people. Just be yourself. If your favorite movie is is RoboCop, own it. If your favorite movie is Citizen Kane, own it. If your favorite movie is Killer Clowns from Outer Space, own it. You know, don't don't try to be something you're not. Yeah, don't jump on the bandwagon, especially <laughs> now, and try to say Star Wars was your favorite movie growing up. <laughs> you know who you are. You know who you are. I've been seeing a lot of you out there. <laughs> but I know. And I want you to know I know. I liked it a lot, but it wasn't my favorite. I, I'm more of a, I don't know, favorite movie growing up, Jurassic Park. Really like that one a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Which we've talked about plenty in the past. <laughs> but I think with that, uh, we'll wrap up this episode. Um, like us on Facebook for all those all those things. We try to put stuff on there. Also, uh, we are on Twitter if you want to follow us on there. Um, we put some things on on Twitter in the Twitterverse too, tweeting and things like that. 
but also just subscribe to us on in any any way you listen to our podcast or or on YouTube. Just uh, take advantage of those things to keep up on us, and it also just boosts our self esteem with the show. Not really our personal <laughs> self esteem, but the self esteem of the show. Just knowing that you're uh, that you're there and you're paying attention and and uh, doing those things. So. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, this is Steven. And this is Dakota. Catch you later.